The only way that you can have true authenticity is to understand what your purpose is. And when she said that, I was just like, yeah, exactly. Because when you behave from a place of true purpose, you are being reflective of your authentic self. And if we're now expecting our businesses, our brands to behave in a way that's authentic to who they are, they too have to have a strong purpose and a understood purpose throughout all the rank and file of the organization. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. I can't believe it's time for the January favorites file already. 2020 is just flying by. And I know we all say that every year, every week, every month, really. But it does seem like this month has just really flown by. And maybe that's because my daughter is at an age now where she's really kicking into a lot of activities, a lot of after school activities. So we're running her back and forth to a variety of different things and trying to keep up with whether or not she's got her homework done and and just staying afloat amongst all of us. But we're doing it, we're surviving, and we're in Iowa. It's cold. And we're in Iowa during an election, a presidential election year. So we are also bombarded with political ads and political appearances. And being in Iowa right before caucuses means we have the opportunity to hear and see a lot of them. That's my little political uh, vent for the moment. And that's probably all you'll ever hear from me unless I decide to talk about a political ad, which actually I saw one recently that I think was kind of interesting. It is one for Elizabeth Warren, and it's with her family. And I'm kind of torn on whether or not I think using her family was a smart move for her or not. Because part of me thinks, well, of course her family's going to vote for her. So why would I take their word as anything more than just them showing support for their family member? Is that going to do anything to move the needle on convincing me to caucus for her or not? But then on the flip side, I'm like, well, you know, I saw an interview with her not too long ago where she talked about the fact that her brothers are both staunch Republicans and that she needed to do a lot of convincing and a lot of talking to get them to say that they would vote for her and support her in this election process. But not everybody saw that interview. So not everybody's going to have that background and understand that. So I guess I'm kind of on the side of I don't think that putting her family members in her ads was necessarily the right strategy to take. I don't know. If you've got an idea on that, I'd love to hear more about it because that was not anything I had planned in my notes to talk about. And so those that's just completely off the top of my head. But I saw it earlier today and I had the exact same thought as what I had two days ago when I saw the ad. So shoot me a message and let me know what you think. Give me another perspective. Enlighten me. Open my eyes to another way of, of thinking about it. 
The first thing I wanted to share with you in this favorites episode comes from something I actually shared a couple of weeks ago in my weekly newsletter. And if you're not subscribed to that, I really encourage you to do so. I started adding some of the things that I am reading and listening to or some key takeaways from those things into that newsletter each week instead of just providing kind of a quick summary of what to expect to hear on the podcast. And so a few weeks ago, I I put this one in there and it's a, it really spoke to me because what I was hearing played back in this particular podcast is my philosophy of how I work with clients. And so, you know, anytime you hear somebody else saying what it is that you do and what you firmly believe in, it gives you a sense of credibility and a, and a validation of, yeah, I'm doing something right. That's great. I needed to hear that today, right? And so I wanted to t- to give you just a brief overview of what that podcast was about. So it was on the On Brand podcast with Nick Westergaard. And the episode is called The Secret Sauce of Branding. And it's an interview with Carrie Finch. And she is... Um, a principal strategist at an agency in the Netherlands, I believe. And I didn't take as good a notes to be able to give you the exact detail of where she's at. But I know she, I know Nick said she was in the Netherlands. What I wanted to expand on with that is that she talked about how in the years that she's had her own agency, in reflecting on that, she realized that one of the biggest things to have changed the face of how we approach marketing and branding is social media. She said, you know, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, whichever it was, when she started her agency, there was a lot of question around social. It was still relatively new. There was a lot of unknowns with it. And frankly, there was a lot of question as to whether or not it was going to have any longevity. Well, we all know that it has had longevity, and I'm certain that it's not going to go anywhere just going to continue to change and evolve. So one of the things that came out of this this back and forth between her and Nick was the fact that with social and brands becoming more active and creating their own presence on social, it opened the door for a new line of communication between brands and their audiences, their customers, whether it was a direct customer or a referring customer, whatever. It it just opened up that door for a new level of communication to happen. And what it did is it forced a different type of authenticity onto those businesses. Because when you think about it, prior to social media coming onto the scene and changing, changing how we interact with our brands that we're loyal to, we didn't know how they operated as much as what we do now. We didn't know what to expect in terms of if we if we sent them a letter to complain about something or would try and send something back, we'd just have to wait to see what kind of a response we would get back. Now, granted, we still have to wait if we send them a message on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, but the expectation is that they're going to respond much faster than what we would have seen 10 years ago when that communication was going either through an 800 number 
or through maybe an email or snail mail. We have very different expectations. And as a result, we also know a lot more or think we know a lot more about how that business operates. So it's forced them to really look at how the customer experience translates into their brand and their reputation and forces them to have a level of consistency and continuity in terms of how they respond and how they are viewed publicly. All of that's rooted in authenticity. And the only way that you can have true authenticity is to understand what your purpose is. And when she said that, I was just like, yeah, exactly. Because when you behave from a place of true purpose, you are being reflective of your authentic self. And if we're now expecting our businesses, our brands to behave in a way that's authentic to who they are, they too have to have a strong purpose and a understood purpose throughout all the rank and file of the organization. In order to be able to create an authentic brand and really bring that purpose to the forefront, you have to find and own your voice. She says you have to know who you are, what you are, and why you are that before you can communicate anything. You have to understand more than your mission, vision, and purpose in order to be able to sell what you do. Because you're missing part of your story if you just know your mission, vision, and purpose. You have to know what does that purpose look like? What does it mean? You know, how do I express that voice? How do I share my values? And what is my brand promise? What are you connected to? And why should anyone listen to you? Those are all pieces that need to be communicated out in order to be able to really give your purpose a voice. An example that she gives, which I think is a really, I mean, it's one that we all know something about, is Nike. She said, when you think about Nike, Nike is people who follow Nike and that are really loyal, loyal customers to Nike. It's almost like a religion to them. It's about far more than just the product that they sell. It's not about the sneaker. It's about how they run their business. It's about how they treat their employees. These are things that we never knew about companies 15, 20, 25 years ago. We maybe heard about them every once in a while, and usually we heard about them because employees were were upset with something, whether it would be a contract or with working conditions or something. We would hear about it when it became a problem. Now, brands tell their stories on social and they become an authentic business. They become almost like a person in telling their stories. And so we know so much more about them. And that brings us into that fold and gets us wanting to be more like them because we gravitate to them because their mission and their vision and their values align with what we as individuals see. It's why Nike's brand presence was not really impacted that much 
if at all, when they came out with the big ad a couple of years ago with Colin Kaepernick. Because to their followers, Colin Kaepernick aligned with their mission, vision, and values. This also reminded me of Simon Sinek's current discussion of infinite versus finite games. In an infinite game, it's always about improving upon what you're doing, improving yourself. There is no end in sight. It's just always moving a little bit further down that path of becoming better. Whereas in a finite game, there's a stopping point. In an infinite game, it is about how you treat your employees. It is about how what you're doing to stay in business. It is not just about the money that you need to stay in business. That's part of it, but that is not the driving factor. In fact, I will link in the show notes a short video that I saw of him recently talking about um, qualities of leaders between a CEO and a CFO and a COO and the fact that you can't have an equal balance between them. That the one who is looking at the good of the people, the good of the organization that keeps you moving forward is the one that needs to have the upper hand, that needs to have, he said, even if it's a 51-49 split, it still needs to, the bias, as is the word he used, the bias still needs to go to the one that is looking at the people. So when you know all of this about your organization, when you can understand your purpose and articulate it and know how you're going to speak it, know the tone of voice in which that you're going to respond, the length of time it's going to take you to respond, the social causes that you align with, any of a number of things that fall into that spectrum of living the purpose of your brand, being something bigger than what you are. You have to be able to communicate that in some way that resonates with the audiences that you want to serve. In today's society, people are looking for brands that align with their values. And to do that, as a business, you need to know your values and your purpose. So check out that podcast. Like I said, it really just, it hit home for me so much because of the fact that it It's what I believe. It's the work that I do with my clients. It's how I approach helping them define their brand and creating the the framework that they need to know about who they are in order to be able to tell the story of their brand and the story of how they serve and solve the problem of their audience in a way that they are a good guide for them while having their customer being the hero for them. Another episode of 10% Happier by Dan Harris really stopped me in my tracks a, a few weeks ago, and it's an older one. It's actually from November, and the title of it is What's Your Motivation? And it's an, a conversation with Thubden Chandran, and I'm sure I did not pronounce that correctly. She is a Tibetan nun. When I saw the headline or the title, What's Your Motivation? I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And I'm sure it will have something to do with purpose and intention. And of course it does, but not in the way that I thought that it would. 
let me just tell you a little bit about her. So Thubden Chandran was born in Chicago and grew up near Los Angeles. She felt her life's calling was to help others, so she became a teacher, landing her first job in the inner city schools of Los Angeles. Looking for something to do during the summer months, she saw a flyer for a meditation course being taught by two Tibetan lamas. Little did she know, taking this course would change the trajectory of her life. The teaching that resonated with her most was about setting motivations. She realized that though she was doing good things in her life, the motivations she had for doing them were self-centered. Chandran wanted to dedicate her life to living selflessly and with altruistic intentions. She felt the only way she could do that was to let go of her worldly attachments, including her marriage, and become a Buddhist nun. She believes we all have the potential to be happy and live altruistically, but we get in our own way. We get in our own way. How often do we find ourselves in that exact position? We become fearful of something. We... We feel that we don't have the confidence or that we don't have the right for some reason to do what we want to do or to live the life that we'd like to live. And we get in our own heads and stop ourselves from getting there. Been in a training session, a sales training um, session for the last several Wednesday afternoons, and it's been really interesting. But the phrase that comes to mind from that that's relevant to what we're talking about right now is that all of our fears come from inside. They don't come from external sources. They come from what our head tells us that we have to be fearful of. Because if we take ourselves out of the equation, you don't need to be afraid of that snake, right? I don't know. I'm afraid of snakes. But we put ourselves in our way, our own way, and allow ourselves to stumble when we're doing our work, when we're parenting our children, it doesn't matter where. So a couple of the things out of this particular podcast that I, I shared with a friend while I was listening to it, I just started like typing wildly these notes of, you know, what do you, what do you think of this? What does this say to you? And what does this mean? And Chandran talks about being selfless and having positive motivations that when we're going to do something, it should be for the positive. It should be for the good of doing it, not for self-centered ways or self-centered means, right? There's a, a part in the conversation where she talks about how she released petty comparisons and vanity symbols when she shaved her head. Because by doing that, she no longer needed to look in a mirror. So there was no, there was no vanity left in her. She had no reason to look at someone else and then look at herself and compare herself to somebody else because she wasn't looking at herself anymore. And she also said that sincere motivation comes through and is appreciated and rewarded, whereas selfish motivation will also come through. Put yourself in a position where where you're around someone who is motivated with the most sincere of intentions. You recognize that. 
and equally you recognize when they're motivated by something that is self-serving. And the last quote that I sent to my friend was this one. Your self-esteem doesn't depend on the amount of money that you make. Money is often the root of comparison in business and in our personal lives. But your self-esteem does not depend on that. On Sunday, January 26th, Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. So a lot of you that listen to this and listen to me every week don't know a lot about about a lot about me as it relates to anything before I started doing this podcast other than what I've shared so far and I know I've never shared anything about this. So Kobe Bryant's death hit me harder than I anticipated that it would. And that is because when I was in high school, I was a huge 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 Laker fan. I watched every game I could possibly watch. I recorded them on VCR tapes if I wasn't able to watch them live. And I would beg my friends and my family not to let me, not to tell me who won the game. This was in the 80s. So this was in the time of the Showtime era of the Lakers. So, you know, the starting five for the Lakers were Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Uh, Kurt Rambis, Byron Scott, and James Worthy. And the sixth man off the bench was typically Michael Cooper. Yes, I was a bit obsessed with the Lakers. In fact, one of my senior pictures when I graduated from high school is with a Lakers sweatshirt on. And I purposefully had that picture made into wallet sizes that that I put into a select few graduation announcements and that select few were all the people that I knew that were Celtic fans. So as a result of my obsession with the Lakers in the 80s, my mother became a huge Laker fan as well. And truth be told, sometimes it was just she was an NBA fan. She enjoyed watching the games. She enjoyed watching that caliber of play. But through and through, she was a Laker fan. And Kobe Bryant was one of her favorites. Now, I will admit to becoming more of an occasional fan after the Lakers of the 80s all retired. And I will even admit to a time when I was annoyed by Kobe because I felt like he was trying to take over what Magic Johnson had established. And there was times too when he, um, you know, when his personality maybe wasn't portrayed the best in the media. So perceptions of him were not always positive. I don't remember. I just remember that my mom was always very much of, she was very much in the court of Team Kobe. She thought he was great. She enjoyed watching him. She thought he was one of the best. So his death then has brought up a lot of moving tributes to him and a lot of tears for me because it just, brings back memories of talking with my mom about basketball. One of those tributes was actually one that Robin Roberts from Good Morning America shared, which actually was nothing more than a clip of one of their last, I don't know if it was the last interview that she did with, with Kobe when he was on. She asked him if he missed the game and he said, no, I don't. And 
He said, what I've learned from the game never left me. Everything I've done comes from what I've learned from the game. And the athletes coming next need to remember that there is a finality to this. And that's okay. It's very hard to let go of something that you've done for half your life. And it kind of becomes who you are. But it's the difference between what you do and understanding who you are. This reminds me of understanding your why. Because when we understand our why, we realize that it is not tied to what we do. It's not tied to our career. Not too long ago, I posted a a graphic on my social media platforms that said, if you can divorce it, fire it, quit, or leave it, something like that, it's not your why. That's what he's saying. Basketball was his life for a period of time, and it's made him into who he was. But the lessons he learned from the game, from the dedication that he had to the game, to his desire to become a better player, all shape him into who he is. And he will use all of those lessons going forward. And as more and more stories about him come out in the days since he passed, I see the truth in that. And I have a greater appreciation for who he was and who he will remain and the legacy that he leaves. And I have no doubt that my mom is in heaven, both literally and figuratively, and has found Kobe and is talking basketball. Next week is the interview I have been waiting anxiously to share with you. It's my interview with Joey Coleman, author of Never Lose a Customer Again. My favorite phrase from the entire book is customer service is reactive. Customer experience is proactive. Here's a clip from our conversation. Why do customers leave and when do they leave? And what we found is that across all industries, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will leave before the 100-day anniversary. That's so amazing. right at the beginning, right at the beginning when they become a customer. And we need to only think about our own experiences as customers to realize that those statistics hold true. How many times have you purchased something at the store maybe or gone to a restaurant and you've gone, yeah, I never want to go there again. Or I'm never going to buy that product again. Or, wow, something didn't go well with this product and I'm not going to get more of it. Or you buy an article of clothing and it hangs in your closet for a year with the tag still on it. For example, this hypothetically happens, right? So moral of the story is customers are making a decision about whether they want to be a long-term customer of yours very early on in the relationship, which gives businesses an opportunity to focus on that time period to lay the foundation for a lifelong relationship. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.